Bass crashes in, you know it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks out there, using this podcast to get you through a, a workout or a run. We're going to be with you in your ear holes, 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness to get you through, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free, and that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Linode. They made that possible bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy who treats every Monday like Cyber Monday, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hey, Jeff, I don't know if I mentioned it on this show yet, but uh, up top, uh, the album recording went well. It looks like it will come out early 2017. It feels uh, crowded between now and Christmas and Hanukkah and comedy album. You're talking about comedy. Uh, So early 2017, which will put it about exactly two years after album one dropped. So that's the update on that. Also, Cyber Monday, insert hackers sound effects. Ooh. Hey, have you did you get any sweet deals on the on the Black Friday or the Cyber Monday? Any any deals? I partake partook in two digital deals. Uh because of your stupid incessant tweeting and it was like five dollars. I bought Mad Max. Yeah, dude. It's I awesome. Played some of. I'm excited to dive in again. I have a, a weekend where I'll be uh stuck with video games. <laughs> um and then I I bought the Witcher Complete edition because you can jump right into Blood and Wine and it was like fifteen bucks, I think. Uh nice. twenty bucks. So I'm excited to try picks. some blood and wine. Yeah. Yeah, you just you just got yourself about eighty hours of games between those two. So oh, good. I have a I have a weekend to dive in. So <laughs> <laughs> enjoy. Uh we have a big show coming at you this week. We got we're gonna be talking about uh Watch Dogs 2. We're gonna be talking about some awesome news. We got VR talk, we got some cool board game stuff because I heard from so many people this week. Just a torrent of emails and tweets coming at me saying, save tabletop time. Protect it from evil Christian Spicer, they say. Be, stand in front of it. Jump in front of that barreling train of Christian with his hype train coming at you trying to destroy tabletop time. Don't let it happen. So I'm not going to let it happen. Uh, but we have an awesome guest to do it with. That's going to be uh, my favorite part because you know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week we're excited because DLC stands for Directions for Life Comprehensive. Because we have the co-host of How to Be a Person, the podcast, as well as a comedian and writer you know from IGN, Saturday Night Live, The Tonight Show, Bill Nye Saves the World, and so much more. We're so excited to welcome Mr. Mike Drucker to the show for the first time. Hey, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me. This is exciting for us. Um, yeah. Big fan of your stuff. And Thank you. uh, Yeah, we kind of connected over Twitter and we got you on. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I... I'm I'm glad I heard you were you were talking about VR last week and I was like oh, I want to talk about VR on that podcast yeah. so then I sort of begged my way on. <laughs> well, I'm so glad because uh, I always love talking about VR. We'll have a whole segment about it. Yes. But, uh, let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of video games this week, or actually games in general, I should say. Uh, and you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit. It's a great place to hang out with fans and talk about the show, talk about stories. Submit stories, and that is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Mike, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Uh, what would you consider to be your story of the week? You know, I saw on the list the uh, No Man's Sky update. Let's talk about the No Man's Sky update, because it doesn't do that much for me. Oh, really? I'm surprised. Um, so this is a big, big, uh, they, you know, they went radio silent um, yeah. the months since August, since the game came out. And I guess they've been working really hard, adding a lot of stuff to the game, including several new modes to play in, a creative mode that kind of lets you just wander around and, and be chill, a uh, survival mode that's a little more intense. There's now home bases that you can build and you can farm stuff. It's much more uh, deep game, but it doesn't do stuff for you. I'm going to be honest. After, you know what, like, I used to be very into the base building thing, but I think after, like, like, I think Fallout 4 sort of wore me out of, like, being like, oh, I can build my own base. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, nothing. It just means I've, I've built a building that I'm going to take a screenshot of and show on Twitter and get, like, 100 likes for 200 hours of work. <laughs> you don't that like this kind work? of worth it, though. That's like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I've I think I've passed out I've passed through the crafting phase of my gaming life. Hmm. I think like I don't I don't hate crafting. I've just got through the phase where I'm like I'm going to I'm going to learn an entire gaming world's physical language to put together a mansion that I can't actually live in. Scrolls well, so down to games you're playing, sees you're kind of lying. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this then. It, do, were you into No Man's Sky in its original form? Um, well, I, I, I liked it. It was, I liked it for what it was. Like, this doesn't ruin No Man's Sky for me, but it's not going to get me to return to it. Um, in its original form, I was sort of like, okay, this is a relaxing exploration game that doesn't live up to a lot of its promises, but it, it was worth 60 bucks for me. Mm -hmm. Um, with the updates, there's a lot of interesting things, but there's nothing that makes me want, it doesn't, like, I want to play No Man's Sky because I want to explore, and I know that some of these things help that, but for me, base building, like, you know, it just doesn't do it for me with this game. Like, I'm not coming back to a base. I want to just keep going to different places. Mm -hmm. Well, let me push back on you a little on this one, because uh, first of all, I think it's, this is heartening to me in the sense that they said from the beginning that they were going to continue adding stuff to this game. And it's, yes. it's really great to see that they're following through on that promise. Uh, and uh, there's some indication people are kind of digging through the update files, and there's some indication that maybe land vehicles are coming soon. So... Uh, it's exciting that this game is evolving uh, because I think a lot of us, myself included, um, really thought the iteration that that it was when it was released was a little thin on yeah. on stuff to do. And the other thing that that makes me excited about this is is I feel like the fun of being in this world is lessened if I can't affect it in any way. And and yeah, I mean I'm kind of on your same page about base building and and crafting if i can't if there's no way for somebody for me to invite somebody over and let's walk around my space you know right right but at least i'm able to affect this massive galaxy now in some way and and able oh, to did sort you of... never see my penis rocks jeff <laughs> um, clearly you've never visited the only planet in which i've been on in no penis man's rock <laughs> yeah uh i i think uh i think those disappear just moments after you finish them i hate to tell you 
Christian. No, Ray. that was proven. No, 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 no false, no false news, Jeff. No false news. Is that tr- is that not? I mean, not, I'm serious. Like you, you don't walk away from your from your half, uh, half carved, half mined rocks. And I was gonna say my uh, my penis rocks were full carved. You know what I mean? There were no half carved. <laughs> <laughs> Family show, Christian. Family show. Um, <laughs> Are you excited about Christian? You were the big, big No Man's Sky defender, even though you purported playing it in a way that literally no one else played it like. Um, But uh, does this does this make you want to go back now that you can stay on your same planet and actually build a sweet base there? (laughs) So what excites me about it and and isn't the base building, but it's creative because. For me, it was I wanted to see what could be seen on my planet, and I think you get different views and vistas, and if I was ever going to collect everything on one planet, the only planet I would ever do that on is my home planet. But now with creative mode where collecting things doesn't matter because you just you have Scrooge McDuck money, you know what I mean? You can just do whatever you want, unlimited, whatever. I think now that mode will get me to go see other planets because I'll just keep going from planet to planet to planet until I find one that, that – is has a cool beach or, you know, I'm just looking at vistas. <laughs> right. I'm just a tourist looking at postcards at this point. I haven't loaded it back up. I did um, download and install the update last night, but I was out of town for Thanksgiving. I haven't had a chance to dive in, but I'm excited too. Will this pull me back in for another, you know, 5, 10, 15, 30 hours? I, I don't think so. I think I'm more with Mike on this where I think it's it's kind of exciting. I, I don't regret spending my 60 bucks up front, but I don't think this will pull me in back deep. It does, it's not enough to, you know, hook me again. Right. In, this, in the chat room here, Stats1 has a bunch of stuff to say. Uh, he asked if uh, I've actually returned to play it since the update. Uh, and the answer to that is no. And I think this kind of goes to that you never get a second chance to make a first impression kind of thing. I feel like if this content had been in the game when it launched, I would probably have a little bit different opinion of the game, even though this content now isn't enough to pull me back to it. It's, I mean, I guess we're we're spoiled, or at least I'm spoiled with an abundance of riches of, of lots of cool things to play. And, and I'm just not drawn back to this sort of minor change. But I do think that minor change would have had a much bigger impact if, if it had been around originally. I right. think. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Mike. Oh yeah, no, I was just gonna say that. I I agree. It's it's you know I I like that they're they're updating it and they're promising to continue to update. You know, but for me, this just runs into the same wall that I had with it before, which is like, you know, I I just I just I guess I don't have as much time for games where I'm just in a sandbox doing nothing that the sandbox doesn't care about. You know, right. like I think like you know back when mine when I first played like you know the alpha of Minecraft, I was like, oh my god, I can build anything I want. And then I realized there's nothing I want to build. And that's my problem is, you know, I have dark, Mike. That's really dark. (laughs) Like, I'm never like, I'm never like whenever someone builds like, you know, like a life size recreation of Westeros, I'm like, oh, that's great. But uh, why? Like, and I know that like, because you can, and that's the answer. But my, but for me, like, I understand for other people that it's going to be captivating, it's going to be a great experience, so I don't want to dismiss it for other gamers. But for me personally, it's just not as exciting, because not that I need a completely tailored game experience, but sometimes when someone's like, go do whatever you want, I'm like, I just, I just want to see some mountains. (laughs) Yeah, but your mountains, you can make your mountains, you can make your own mountains now. I can make my own mountains now. (laughs) And I still play Minecraft, I'm not dismissing the entire building experience, it's just something I've moved past, I think. 
Yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing, and I'm like I said, I'm trying to stay positive on this and give them yeah, a lot of yeah. credit for for continuing to work and like taking the massive negative feedback that they got that must have been really hard to take and kind of channeling that into this really positive direction. I, I think that's really great, you know, and I credit Hello Games enormously for that. Absolutely, but I don't know. It, it, I I hate to be cynical and say too little, too late, but. I'm hoping like, yeah, there's going to be vehicles maybe, and maybe it'll just continue to become this game that I originally all, you know, wanted it to be. But right now yeah. it's just not, not quite enough for, to me to, to, to load it back up. Man, if they added VR support, now we're yeah. talking. Oh, if they added PSVR support, I would be there. I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. I would be playing <laughs> No Man's Sky because that to me is what I want. I want PSVR support. You throw that in and I'm fine. I think I think my issue is, and maybe, again, this is more pet personal pet peeve, is that I feel like base building is, you know, like two or three years ago, everything was a roguelike. And two or three years before that, everything was an open world. And now I think everything is like, and you can build a base. Yeah. And it feels like a thing that people throw in there as um, a time suck instead of actual content. Yeah. I mean, it is the Minecraft effect, right? It's the most, you know, successful game ever. So right, let's, of course. let's all copy it a little bit. Um, also in the chat, Purple Hydra pointing out that No Man's Sky is on sale for 20 bucks right now. So if you are oh. curious and you hadn't played it before, uh, maybe this will be the time to jump in. Who knows? It's definitely worth 20 bucks. I def if you haven't played it and you're curious, it's worth 20 bucks. Yeah. Christian, you have a story of the week? I, uh, one's just a dumb rumor that we won't spend time on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the other one, hopefully we'll spend a little time on. If not, I know we'll come back to it in December. Um, there is a rumor that started where I saw it on NeoGAF and GAF does what GAF does and they've been amazing and sourcing out all this other s silly, just stupid stuff. It's not going to happen. Well, man, the rumor is Marvel versus Capcom 4 gets announced at the PlayStation Experience here in, uh, Anaheim this weekend. And I'm going to be there. You're going to be there? Yeah. Um, if it happens, dude, oh, oh my goodness. And there's some secret panels happening that, like, aren't on the list, but, like, and NeoGAF has, like, pulled stuff and, like, looked at people's tweets that have been involved in things. And, like, I mean, it's a conspiracy theorist uh, dream come true in these video game type posts. But, you know, some of the stars may be aligned. Marvel's been... Uh, more freeing with its licensing and relicensing um, of its IP for games, like getting the Ultimate Alliance air quote remasters. Um, we're seeing more of those games coming out, and the Capcom Cup is part of uh, the PlayStation experience. Sony and Capcom have a good relationship. Street Fighter V was a console exclusive. So there's enough there for me to at least mention it on this show, mostly because... I need to see Spider-Gwen, I need to see Miles Morales Spider-Man, and I need to see Agent Venom Venom. Those are my three, I like Spider-Man guys, uh, three dream characters for a Marvel vs. Capcom 4. Well, and, and, and doing doing quick research, because I'm annoying, it's, you know, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 did well for them. It did 2.2 million copies, it's, their, it's Capcom's 21st best-selling game, but I mean, like, behind classics. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it did well enough where you would think that if all the stars aligned, it would be an obvious sell. You know what I mean? It wasn't a flop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's done well, and they even kind of mishandled it, dropping the Ultimate Edition, I think, like six months after the original yeah. came out. Um, it always seemed like it was a licensing issue. I know getting three back was a big deal um, for the Marvel license with them. But 
you know, there's rumors, and there's rumors have been working on another versus game, and that it won't be seen as a service the way Street Fighter V was. Like it's going to be a standalone title, and they wanted to get a fighting game that can be catered to the casual gamer more, and like all of that stuff. Parts to a, points to a possible Marvel versus Capcom four. But Jeff, you're going to just tell me I'm an idiot, right? Well, just in general, but not, not, <laughs> not for this particular story. Uh, I mean, I think the fun part of talking about this is uh, the speculation. It's I, it seems like an, uh, a no-brainer that this will happen at some point. Is it happening at PlayStation Experience this weekend? That I kind of doubt. But uh, I do think this game is a no-brainer for Capcom to make just because there hasn't been a Marvel versus Capcom game out in the post-Marvel-owns-the-universe world, you know? Like, yeah. the thing that's so cool, yeah, you bring up all these cool comic, you know, Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales. I love, I'd love to see that. But I'd also, I think it's kind of awesome that we might have a Doctor Strange in that game because Doctor Strange is now a, a character that's in the, the, the well, he zeitgeist. Was in, he was in three. Was he really? I think so. Oh, boy, I, I'm clueless. I didn't think he was. Uh, but, you know, like Googling the Guardians now. of the Galaxy, uh, you know, all these characters that are now popular because of the film franchise. Ant-Man. What if Ant-Man is in the game? You know, like there's a right. lot of fun yeah, characters that are strange. Dr. Strange is in it. He is in it. Oh, well, uh, look at that. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, anyway, but I think there's a there's a potential for this sort of po- post Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff to influence the content that I could I think could be really fun and cool. Yeah, it's not going to happen, but I want it to. I want it to so bad. Uh, the other thing I want to see, at, well, I'm just throwing out hopes and dreams and desires now. <laughs> uh, Uncharted 4 single player DLC. I want to see a PlayStation experience and I want to see gameplay of the Insomniac Spider-Man game. These are just, ho- I'm just throwing junk into the hype well, train wagon. We So we're going to have so much to talk about next week because a PlayStation experience is happening and also the game awards on Thursday. So there'll be a bunch yeah. of announcements there as well. So, you know, maybe... Marvel vs. Capcom gets announced there at the Game Awards. Just keep a... teasing me, like, one day later. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, guys, you put me in an awkward position, Christian, because I didn't think that was going to be your story of the week. I thought for sure your story of the week was going to be this uh, Cards Against Humanity hole, which I kind of don't want to talk about. But you I really have... thought that'd be my story of the week? I really did. Not really the did. one story that I added to this document. Well, that I, didn't had all gonna... other... <laughs> I didn't know you were going to add a story to the document. That's my point. <laughs> Um, I, I, I don't even want to talk about it, but I kind of do because I have two comedy writers with me right now. Yeah. Um, so Mike, what is your take on this? So just if anybody isn't aware of this, I'm sure everybody knows about right. it by now, but cards against humanity does a stunt every, uh, black Friday last year, they had a, uh, give us money. We will give you nothing in return. And they made like an insane amount of money. This year, they decided they were going to dig a hole. And for every dollar, it was another second that they'd spend digging the hole. And they've raised to, to this point about $30,000 to dig a hole. Yeah. And they are uh, emphatically uh, purporting that they will not be giving that money to charity. They will, it's, it's, they're taking that money. They dug a hole with that money and you gave it to us. And if you wanted to give it to charity, you should have given it to charity. You gave it to us instead. Right. But they have in the past given the money to charity, given some, you know, they've been very charitable. Um, it's kind of controversial, right? Is a hole worth donating money to? What is your take on this? As, as a comedian, is obviously a sort of an artistic joke that they're doing. What do you think? Right. Um, I don't know because it's, you know, people are willingly giving them that money. So it's not even like, you know, 
it's weirdly not even like they're using the sales of their game to dig a hole. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's they're they're being upfront about it, which I guess do I think it's like an amazing, hilarious stunt? Not really, but at the same time, like if if you know market forces, if somebody's like, hey, I'm gonna dig a hole, give me money, and they're like, okay, and they give you money and they do it, like you can't be mad at them. Like I I I I get that like people are like, you should give this money to charity, but they said up front they're not going to. Right. So, you know, anyone who's giving them money with the expectation that it would go to charity is throwing it away. Right. And I, I don't know why you would do it. I don't like you know, I have nothing against those dudes, but I, I, to me, it just seems like if someone says, give me money and I'll give you nothing, don't give them that money. Yeah, no, I'm definitely much more, I have nothing against the Cards Against Humanity guys. In fact, I'm right. kind of friendly with Max and, it, you know, it's, I don't think they did anything wrong here. I'm more frustrated right. with people. I'm People, more, people. Yeah. I also think that sometimes, uh, you know, we've all dealt with fans who are like good fans and then there's also bad fans. And I think there's a lot of fans out there who will you know, blindly follow some people that they really like. And it's not always the healthiest thing, you know, like, you know, most fans are independent, normal people who just list, who like what you put out there and they enjoy it and you talk to them and they're great. But there's some people where if you're like, you know, go punch somebody in the face, they're like, Oh man, my best friend told me to punch someone in the face and they'll do it. And that's not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tweeted about this and I got a lot of backlash, even from friends of mine who I respect, who said they gave money because they thought it was so funny and thought it was such a statement to make. And I, it makes me sad, you know, Christian, you are somebody that's brought up several charities on the show to, that are worthwhile to donate to and somebody that believes strongly in that. And and I felt like, you know, if you want to throw your money at something, there's a lot of worthy things to throw your money at. This I don't I don't understand the joy that you get in seeing how much money these guys can raise for a stupid reason. Like I don't right. I just don't get that. So, um, uh, you own three VR headsets. I do. It's stupid. It's stupid. Yep. Why didn't Was you give that? that I, why didn't you I give that money to charity? I thought you were talking to me because I also own three VR. Headsets. <laughs> okay, good. I was good. Like, how did you? What, did, have I tweeted that? <laughs> <laughs> good, Mike, Jeff, Jeff, Mike. You're both idiots. Why didn't you give one of those headsets worth of money to charity? Like, do, no, yes. Right. Do I think people are stupid for spending money to dig a hole? Of course. Do I think both of you are stupid for owning three VR headsets? Of course. Do I think I'm stupid for owning two VR headsets? Of course. No, uh, but have you played a? Hole digging simulator in VR. Oh, I'm so working good. on it. Give me VR, money. It's a, yeah, if this hole was in VR, I'd be all for it. I'd totally be there. <laughs> Kettle, meat, pot. Um, so, I mean, I understand your frustration with it. I understand how it's easy to roll your eyes and be like, oh, people are the problem. 49% of Americans didn't vote. They're going to give their money for this. People backed the potato salad Kickstarter instead of giving to but, – uh, but it's like – you have to hope that there is good in people, which I think I have seen a lot of recently, and there's a lot of good in the world. And if this gives people value to give a dollar or two or five, and they find it funny the same way that I spent $5 on a Starbucks two days ago, I could have easily gone to Denny's and got a cup of coffee. It's like all of our money spending almost yeah. is a waste. So I don't I don't take offense to this idea. I like punk rock. Um, I like avant-garde art. Do I? Is this what I would have done? No. Do I think these guys could have come up with something funnier and more punk rock? Sure. Do I think burning uh, $6 million worth of Sex Pistols merchandise uh, in London is, is the right thing to do either? No. But I appreciate that people – they're doing something. Also, 
we're talking about Cards Against Humanity, which is a fantastic game, and I bet people have bought and downloaded the game. Like, this is a super smart uh, ad buy for them, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's not an ad buy. It's an ad we get your money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I get your frustrations, but I also think we need to look at the mirror and tell ourselves that we are stupid, uh, probably oh, more so. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Oh, sure. Sure. I, it's this sort of disaffected, cynical, like, oh, yeah, it's so funny how – I don't know. I, anyway. And, and also, like, to sort of, you know, walk back what I said, you know, just because someone donates $1 or $5 to this does not mean that they have not donated other money to other causes. True. Like, it's not a either-or situation. And, and they've, they've – you know, $30,000 is a lot of money, but when you have that large of a fan base, it's not that much money. Right. So clearly, it hasn't really raised that much. Fair enough. Okay, we'll leave it there then. Um, my actual story of the week that I want to bring up is uh, is another kind of board gaming story. Um, Android Netrunner, the wildly popular uh, collectible card game. Actually, it's a living card game because it's not truly collectible. Um, designed by Richard Garfield, is getting a new expansion that's completely kind of changing up what the game can do. Yeah, It's adding a campaign to the mix so that you and a friend can play through a full story. This is called Terminal Directive, and it's a sort of serial killer murder mystery thing that you play through. And it kind of does what Pandemic Legacy did to Pandemic. It adds uh, unlockable card decks that you only open at specific points. It gives you story beats, and it creates a linear narrative that you play through from start to finish and then you're done um it's it's pretty awesome i think and i love that the legacy effect that has happened since uh risk legacy came out is is permeating into all these other really exciting titles yeah uh, is something you're into mike oh absolutely um i i love it um i i mean my only thing is i wish that andrew uh, netrunner was there was also like a video game version of Me it. Too. That's my only thing. Who's like, there not? Put, make it up. Put it on iPad. Put it on. Put it on ne- Android. Just iPad. Say VR, Mike. Just say VR. <laughs> put it in VR. Think. Put it in VR. Put it in VR. But also not so I have to like download an extension because I've tried the VR thing in um what's it called the um Drag- the board game simulator oh, game yeah. tabletop table t- yeah tabletop and it never it doesn't feel right. Like, it just feels sort of like awkwardly tr- trying to reach for things that then get knocked over and you're frustrated. Did you try Dragonfront on Oculus? No. It's cool. It's a it's a card game. It's basically Hearthstone, but in VR. It's really cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <It's awesome. laughs> you can sell me anything by saying, but in VR. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we are kindred spirits. I love it. <laughs> um, um, no, I love Android. I love, I love, uh, I love the legacy thing that's become a thing in board games. It makes... It makes it feel so much more important, you know, you care about how, because Risk in the past, and I know that now it's pandemic, but like, I don't know, it makes me care more about the game, you know, because yeah. when you're losing a board game in the past, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to lose, so I'll just sort of like dive bomb it so we can wrap this up soon. Whereas now you're sort of like, oh, this, if if I throw this now, it'll affect me throughout the rest of the times I play this game. So to me, it it gives it much more weight, and I love it. I agree. Uh, and, and I think this is, I'm very excited to try this. Android Netrunner is already an amazing game. It's a, um, a asymmetrical game so that each side, it plays very, very different from each other, either the corporations or the Netrunners. And, um, 
to do that and have like you you pick one of those sides and you play through the entire campaign on that side and what the decks you unlock are specific to you and it's it just sounds like a really clever idea and I'm I hope more I, I think for people that are kind of turned off by the competitive nature of the kinds of board games that I like, I love that this movement is happening with, you know, time stories and all the legacy games. These play it through at once, have this complete narrative from start to finish. It, it really, I think, opens up the entire hobby to a whole new group of people. Yes, I agree. Cool stuff. Enough for you to maybe give it a shot, Christian, or, or no? You want the video game version? I'm down to Jeff. Every time you've invited me over for tabletop time, I've I've come with bells on, not True. literally with bells on, but I'm down. And the bells are very annoying. Well, but, by know. the way, I now live in Los Angeles, so if anybody wants to invite Drucker over Dude, for some tabletop time, it's on. I'm about to I have, have a, a new location where we can do that. It's going to be amazing. Yes, I, I have, have a closet of board games. I will bring anything that you probably already own, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> on. It's happening. That's happening. Uh, all right. Speaking of stuff that's Show over. See you guys later. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> like you hear like doors opening, closing the stream to stay alive. <laughs> Just a car peeling out of a lot. <laughs> Speaking of stuff that's happening, uh, our show is happening only because of the kind sponsorship of our sponsor, Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. And Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super fast GPS, excuse me, 40 GPS network, not just not just any GPS. There's 40 of them. That's a lot of GPSs. Oh, they have automated backups, node balancers, managed services, guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now, Linode offers two gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including... This network, 5x5's infrastructure, is hosted on Linode, and getting started is easy. You just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5 today to support this show and use promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit. Linode. Simple, powerful, reliable. All right, guys. Let's get into the playlist. Mike, you got some uh, good games on your playlist? What have you been playing? I've been playing a little bit of Pokemon Moon. Ooh. Um, so you chose Moon instead of Sun. I chose Moon instead of Sun. I, I know that there's like that weird 12-hour difference. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, because I can sort of, like, at nighttime, I can be during the day, and daytime during the night. It was that dumb of a decision. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also didn't want to do what I always do, which is I ended up buy- where I end up buying both versions and only playing one. So I'm like, I'm going to play Moon. If I really like it, I'll get Sun and try to figure something out. Um, I've also been playing a game called Tyranny, which is yes. a new Obsidian RPG. Oh, I'm very excited to hear about this. What do you think of it? It's very good. I'm, I'm only... Unfortunately, because of Thanksgiving, I didn't get far into either of these, and I feel very sad about that. Um, uh, I'll talk about Tyranny first, because I see that Pokemon, uh, you everyone else is playing Pokemon. Tyranny is uh, a role-playing game by Obsidian. You got, um, obviously, listeners, you know Obsidian, they did uh, Pillars of Eternity, they have a lot of people from the old Black Isle people who did, like, you know, the Baldur's Gate stuff, and it's a traditional role-playing game, but it takes place in a world where the villain has already won. And mm. so you play... Uh, 
I forget the exact term for it. It's something like Lawbinder, where you play one of his lieutenants or one of her lieutenants. The cool thing is nobody has seen this villain. This villain has been has one uh, he or she conquered the earth, uh, the 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 realm hundreds of years ago, and now you're just sort of keeping the peace and conquering little outlying territories. And the whole game is there is an evil faction, and then there's another evil faction, and then there's another evil faction, and which evil faction are you going to align with? And it's it's interesting because it's not your traditional Bioware, like, you pet the dog or you kill the dog for money. It's a <laughs> lot more like, okay, well, would you rather, um, you know, would you rather have sort of like a racially pure army that believes in honor and integrity or an army that invites everybody, but they don't have a choice? Hmm. You know, like, which is better, like Nazi Germany or, you know, uh, you know, Attila the Hun? Right, and it's and it's interesting because you actually start to think about that. It's not as easy in the past where you're like, "Ah, oh, man, I'm going to play all evil or I'm going to play all good." Shades you, of gray, right? It's it's all shades of gray. It's all shades of very blood red gray. <laughs> um, but it's it's really cool. It's it's really fun and surprising for an Obsidian game. There's almost no glitches. I haven't had a crash. I haven't had somebody like teleport to the wrong place. I'm sure I'll now jinx myself and run right into it. Um, but it's a really smooth, interesting, fun experience. Does what it play I, like uh, Pillars of Eternity? It plays a lot like Pillars of Eternity. Mm-hmm. If you've played Baldur's Gate or Planescape, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the cool thing is it starts with sort of an intro that lets you define who your character is. You know, beyond like what they look like and what their voice is, you have sort of this hour and a half long sort of interactive novel where they're like, okay, you're conquering this city. Do you you know, let your spies leave or do you burn it to the ground instantly so no enemy troops can get out? And that sort of defines how everyone sees you in that world. Hmm. It's really fun. That's cool. Um, how, is the, how is the difficulty ramp? I heard it's, it's, it can be a little brutal. It's a little brutal. I definitely, I started at um, a higher difficulty level and I actually ratcheted it down because mm-hmm. I was just dying too much. It's, it's very brutal. Um, that said, Obsidian has done what I like uh, which is they've implemented story mode. You know, where it, with Pillars, it came in a patch later on. Uh, Tyranny comes with the story mode. So if you're like, I just want a good yarn, mm-hmm. you can make all the enemies idiots and you just sort of play through this fun, interesting story. Oh, that's interesting. I love those games. So, I, you know, I, I've been flirting with, with picking this up. Um, it sounds really, really interesting. I like I like the sort of take on the universe being uh, darker, more... Right. You know, scary place. And and what what I think is interesting about it is, you know, once there's justifications for the evil, like, and, you know, it's more interesting than just this is a bad guy who wants to have a lot of power. It's a lot of like, well, clearly, you know, he did the right thing because this city was going, you know, going crazy and he killed a bunch of people. But then the city's calm now. Hmm. It's it's really right. interesting. It's a little like Saddam Hussein action. Like he's, he's yeah. a terrible dictator, but it's kind of good that we have him. Yeah. 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 I've always said that my, the games that I like, the role-playing games that I like, are much more in line of Dragon Age as opposed to Mass Effect. I always felt like Dragon Age was the Shades of Grey story, and Mass Effect was like, you're either good or you're bad. Exactly what you've been saying. Right. And it's so much more interesting to actually consider a – a decision rather than deciding at the very beginning of a game, I'm going to be good. And then just by rote selecting the good decisions all the way through, because you decided you were going to be good. Right. Um, and, and I love a game that, that actually challenges you and, and asks you to, to really consider the ramifications of your decisions because there's no clear good and no clear bad. It's much more interesting. 
and there's no like you know like there's no direct benefit to either you don't like suddenly unlock you know healing powers if you're good right or lightning if you're evil it's like well all right somebody hates you now right right and that was the other thing that bugged me about mass effect was like they literally give you points for paragon and and so i said i want to maximize my points i want to i'm playing a role-playing game i want to get the be the best i can be and it just removed all the decision making because you just were playing a, a mini game really right um that's interesting pokemon guys christian you're playing sun mike you're playing moon um it's more pokemon right is there is it more it's just more pokemon um i'd say no i'd actually say they've made a lot of cool positive changes okay um it is still pokemon it is it's not it's not like it is not a deep invigorating story that's going to change your life but it's a really smooth fun experience even more than the last couple games like you sort of there's a little warning when you're about to aggro somebody in the field. Um, you sort of get better Pokeballs early on. So if you want to try to catch some rarer ones, it's a little easier. Like it, it feels like they, they really tailored it to make it a smooth experience for people who haven't played before or are returning after a long absence. Yeah, it's like um, it's not easy per se. I mean, I guess the story itself is relatively easy. I'm only like eight, ten at the most hours and I'm probably closer to eight hours in. Um, but it, again, like uh, I'm finding it to be very relaxing where I had heard early, early Pokemon games aren't necessarily that where, you know, you need to memorize the rock, paper, scissor aspect of it, or, or you lose your uh, sheet of paper that has everything written down and you're just getting dominated. Granted, Pokemon was never the hardest RPG in the world, right? There's a reason why, uh, youngsters loved it when they were growing right, up, right, but this game, it does. It feels like it's the smartest iteration. I, I don't remember how much I said of it last week, but it continues to be well, the, a very smart iteration of the franchise in a way that uh, it follows the formula, but it's not formulaic, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I think that having it set in Aloha is such a, a great change for it, especially being the first fully 3D. You're not stuck moving to a grid anymore, so you're actually experiencing this Hawaiian location. The only thing that continues to bum me out about it is that there's no 3D except for when you're in the basically essentially the Pokemon Snap uh, mode, which is very limited in terms of what you can do. Because I think the battles in 3D would just I don't know. I like, I have a new 3DS where I think the 3D is, is pretty dang good 90% yeah. of the time, so that bums me out. No, I was I was really surprised when the 3D didn't turn on. At first, I thought there was, like, a problem with my system. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't read any reviews or, you know, because it's Pokemon. I don't need to read a review of Pokemon. I know what I'm getting out of Pokemon. Um, so I was a little disappointed by that, definitely. I'm, I'm one of the rare people that loves 3D on my 3DS. I like it, too. I tend to like it a lot. Um, yeah, when it's done well, it's great. And I think Pokemon, my only, I don't know the reasons. I've done a lot of research. My guess is maybe that the game is kind of taxing for the system and they didn't want uh, running 3D with that full 3D open world kind of um, experience or whatever. I, I don't know, but it's just another thing of like the <laughs> Nintendo abandoning its gimmick for the generation or whatever. But the game itself is solid if you haven't picked it up. And also, Mike, they did release, even with a steelbook, uh, both versions together. You know, you could have uh, uh, <laughs> dive in again. Well, that's like with like Fire Emblem. I bought all three versions and I was like, I'm not going to play all three of these. What am I doing? Why? <laughs> Every Steam sale, I buy like 20 games that I will never touch. 
And then I'm like, oh, man, I never, I don't have anything to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that Pokemon Sun and Moon, are, I think, are helpful in, in being able to jump back in in terms of, uh, and again, I'm not anywhere near endgame stuff, but through the narrative, it, it, you know, there's a marker on your map. You have your map up all the time telling you where to go and what to do if you want to do that. Of course, you can go, you know, grind out into the tall grass and just buff all your Pokemon and fight, fight, fight and try to find some rare ones. Um, but if you want to kind of mainline the quest, they make it easy to do, or right. I feel like games in the past, you sometimes open them up, whether it's Zelda or an old or Pokemon, and you're just like, wait, what was happening? And again, the smartest change for me is just having the um, the rock paper scissors. Like, what if you faced a Pokemon before? It shows you what attacks are effective yes. against it. It's so helpful when there are so many Pokemon in this game. Well, and and I know that there have been some arguments about whether or not it dumbs it down, but and I'm sure it does if you are an expert level player who spent 15 years memorizing all this. But for someone like me who like enjoys Pokemon, I but I'm not married to it. I like that. I'm like, oh, right, okay, don't use this. Don't use this attack. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I think that sometimes there's this weird divide in gaming among people who have an encyclopedic knowledge and people who just want to have a good time for a few hours. Yeah. And I'm glad that in a game like Pokemon... Nintendo was like, "Hey, let's let's make let's just make it fun again." <laughs> yeah, it's great. Pick it up. Pick it up. Go, and Sun is great. I haven't played Moon, but Sun is great, Mike. I'm going to put that. <laughs> Moon, Moon is good. Moon is I bet it's I bet they're almost the exact same game. Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh Christian, you've been playing Watch Dogs 2. As promised, uh last week I dove into Watch Dogs 2. Um I hope people love this game. Again, if you know me. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, if you know Did me. Did you make it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud to say my, my baby is out. I hope people like this game. Um, this week's actually at least 20 more minutes is about my, I'm going to dive deeper into my um, love-hate relationship with open world games. So that I will not do beat it over the head here. But if you know me. You know, my push-pull with these games, where it's, I, I like the the big, beautiful worlds to explore, but I have a hard time with, you know, sticking to the, they present this compelling narrative, and they paint your character in such an interesting way, and then they open the world up to you, and you're just like, ha, 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 <laughs> like, <laughs> see you later, narrative. Um, and, and this game... I like the, that you just, literally just bought The Witcher 3. And you're like, I don't like open world games. No, Blood and Wine. But I'm going to just do uh-huh. Blood and Wine. I'm going to stay focused. It's, 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 Blood and Wine is as big as the all of the first, the original Witcher 3. Jeff? Just saying. Jeff? Having played it. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, well, I'll talk about that uh, next week. <laughs> um well, the appeal of these worlds poem. Anyway, um, Watch Dogs 2, uh, again, maybe eight hours at the most um, that I spent with it. Um, it. The characters are really well written. The protagonist is super likable. San Francisco is, is really well done in terms of the, it's that, you know, the three-fifths size San Francisco where you're like, this is just like the real city. Hey, how am I in the marina already? This isn't the real right. city. But, like, it's beautiful. Um, it's a fun world. Like, the jokiness doesn't rub me the wrong way, the way Sunset Overdrive's over the head. Like, pop punk is dumb. And I'm like, it is not dumb, <laughs> Sunset Overdrive. You leave me alone. It's, like, very much the the uh, yuppie tech startup kind of thing has taken over the city. And, and they do in-game jokes that are fun, but they also do out like real world jokes where it's like, Hey, the Hobbit doesn't exist in your world. Does it watch dogs too? But like they do a well-placed reference to things that, you know, it brings a smile to your face or a chuckle at least. Um, 
but then you, 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 there's all of that happening, and, and my character is so likable, and I know at the end, I guess things kind of go a different direction, and of course you get to the third act and whatever. You got to ratchet it up a notch. But even in the very early stages of this game, it's like, get in the car and go to this thing. And you're like, oh, how do I get in a car? I guess I'm going to go steal a car. And I just like walk out and there's like a, a nice woman driving in her Jeep. And I'm like, I need this car. And I just like rip her out and drive away. And that seems weird. I, I know it's me doing it. And it's the difference between gameplay and narrative. And I'm doing this thing. But like for me, the most fun I had with Watch Dogs 2 were like the crazy moments. Oh my God, look what happened. I'm causing so much mayhem. I hacked this thing, planted this booby trap bomb over here, have this camera rigged to do this. This security person has a sticky mine on them that when it interacts with this thing blows up. And I kind of create this uh, Rube Goldberg machine. Goldberg? What's the word? Whatever. Yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. That's correct. Uh, and like the, the chaos unfolds and I'm like, this is amazing. And then I get back to my base and Marcus is like, man, I just hope we're doing right by the people. And I'm just like, oh, Marcus, I failed you. <laughs> so Ludo narrative dissonance aside, yeah. is it, is it fun? Going crazy is fun. They, they create a really. But like the f- missions and, and how everything's laid out. And I mean, in the story, is it, is it a good game? <sighs> yes, but it's not for me. Like, I, I'm not going to finish it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. it's not pulling me forward in a way that I feel compelled to finish the world. I feel like I had fun spending time in it, and I'm I'm, I'm okay. The thing that stresses me out the most about it, though, are it's like my level of undiagnosed OCD or ADD, where, like, everything you do pops up a notification on your smartphone, so you open up your phone to just, like, plot your next destination to your map and it'll be like 10 new things here four new things here six new things there seven and i'm just like oh my god i gotta clear you just bought witcher 3 and mad max (laughs) i'm very sorry for you they were so cheap though jeff they were so cheap that's my (laughs) that that is that is my problem i like the idea of these things and then i get into it and they just like my neuroses drive me insane one day someone will I, actually, I, they already did it. Red Dead. Red Dead is the perfect open world game for me. Where like the ludo narrative dissonance doesn't bother me because you're kind of an outlaw, kind of a good guy, and there aren't a million pings on your smartphone because you don't have a smartphone. <laughs> right. I got good news for you. There's another one of those coming. I am excited. Uh, yeah. Um, I want to talk about a game called The Dwarves that I've been playing. Uh, not to be confused with We Are the Dwarves, which is another game that also came out this year. This is just The Dwarves, and uh, I got an early access copy of this through their PR team. Game actually comes out, I think, this Friday? I think the 1st of December is when it comes out. Anyway, um, this is a really interesting game. It's based on a book series called The Dwarves, which I have not read, but uh, I appreciate that it's based on really good source material. It tends to be the case that when video games like the Metro series and The Witcher and others, when they're based on really good source material, it, it permeates into the game and it makes for some uh, a deeper, richer story. And that really feels like the case here as well. It's very much a Tolkien-esque world where you're playing from the perspective of the dwarves and the character you play as is very much – it could be a hobbit, right? He's a, a simple – Smith, who has a bigger mission in the world and gets embroiled in stuff, but he's in over his head. Very Tolkien-esque, but the writing is excellent. And this game does a lot of things really differently. It's very strange. It's a top-down isometric role-playing game that 
kind of controls like a MOBA. So I was like, okay, so we've got, based on a fantasy book series, I'm in. Kind of controls like a MOBA. The combat is like a MOBA. I'm in. It's a top-down isometric game. I love those. And it's kind of like listening to an audiobook. I think this game has the best voice acting outside of an Uncharted game I've ever heard. It is top-notch voice acting. Very good writing. Excellent voice acting. And for a lot of the game, you're kind of just listening to a static, or uh, excuse me, looking at a static screen, listening to this awesome voice acting. So it's almost like listening to an audiobook. So what happens is, oh, the other thing that is uh, kind of right up my alley is it also kind of plays like a board game. There is an over map uh, of the world and you move your little token around the map and you go to these nodes. It's almost like the board game, um, Tales of the Arabian Nights, where you go to these nodes and little story beats happen and you have multiple choice of how you would handle those things. And it's all narrated with this narrator. And anytime your character talks or another character talks, it's a different actor doing that voice. So you're kind of playing this choose your own adventure audiobook in those situations. But they have really high stakes because one of them, I chose the wrong thing and I died without me doing any kind of video game thing. I just chose the wrong thing to do. Like I trusted somebody and that dude stabbed me in the throat and it was game over. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Game. That's what we're doing. Okay. Um, and so you're moving your little node around and sometimes you'll go to a, a, a city and you'll have interactions in the city. And sometimes those interactions are just text that you listen to and then make decisions. And other times it'll break into a full top down 3d environment And you'll have big fights that are kind of controlled like a MOBA. So you have multiple characters in your party. You can tab between them at any time. And in fact, the game encourages you. It says the only way to win this game is to change the character you're controlling a lot. You can press the space bar at any point to pause the game. So kind of like the old uh, Dragon Age games or old Baldur's Gate games where you're kind of pseudo pseudo real-time but pseudo turn-based. And you're often, almost always, fighting giant hordes of enemies. And you have, like, two, you know, a, a few people in your party. And they all have uh, attacks that are mapped to Q, W, E, and R if you have a, an item equipped. So it's very much like a MOBA. And you're kind of fighting all these enemies and tabbing around between your characters and trying to, to win by using your, your attacks and getting action points and spending those action points, which is basically mana. All of it is really clever and pretty well done, but none of it actually completely clicks. Like, everything is just a little clunky. And it really bums me out because the I- basic idea behind the game is so strong, and the writing is strong, the the characters are really interesting and endearing, and the voice acting is so good that you you really want to be invested in the story and it draws you in. And, I mean, the writing is is such that It'll have little flourishes with the narrator and it'll give you little story beats that other games wouldn't even bother with. Like it'll tell you that, you know, it'll explain how you camped at night and what you saw in the middle of the night. And none of it like actually progresses the plot, but it just enriches the general narrative and and ties you deeper into these characters and what they're going through. So So it's all really, really good, but the combat just doesn't 
actually feel as smooth as a League of Legends or a Heroes of the Storm. It reminds me of uh, that game Hand of Fate that I raved about, where like it was the Batman Arkham series combat, but just kind of not quite. You know, yeah. it was trying to lift it, but it just wasn't doing it a hundred percent as well. And that's the the case here. Like none of the stuff it does, it does a hundred percent as well as the game that's dedicated to that. But it cobbles together so many disparate elements in such an interesting way that I can't help but think it's worth people checking out. Again, it's called The Dwarves, and I'm really intrigued by it. I've, I've played um, about eight hours of it, and it it's really drawing me in from the from the story. I just wish the combat was a little more fun. Basically, what's happening in every fight, and the fights can be really exciting. Like, you're fighting hundreds of orcs, you know, and, and they'll be like this crazy... There was, I had a fight with this crazy elven um, demon chick that, like, when she... When she kills people, she does a painting with their blood. Like, really interesting stuff. But basically what's, what ends up happening is that there's so many orcs that I'm fighting that I'll fight with a couple dudes and then one guy will get very close to death, one of my characters. And so I just kind of run him into a corner and let him stand in the corner while he heals. And the other two guys kind of handle it for a while. And then he heals and I run him back. So it's all real kind of clunky. Nothing ever gels and I, I think if it just felt more like a pve moba it would really be something special right what if it was in vr though if it was in vr it'd be i mean it'd be all <laughs> <laughs> um speaking of vr guys uh i want to get to that real quick because um we got a lot to say about vr but i do want to read uh an email that we got to dlcfeedback at gmail.com this comes from another christian christian russell writes us he says, uh, hi, DLC, longtime listener, first time emailer. I just listened to your segment on Assassin's Creed and how it has become less story and more sandbox. It will become in the next version. Um, the game you're describing and lusting after is already here, and it's called Hitman, a game with a loose narrative, but systems that allow you, the player, to determine how you will reach your goal while still being a game with goals. Christian talked about dense levels, and I think the Paris and Sapienza levels of Hitman already achieved that giving the player uh, more than enough options as to how to choose to tackle the level. Even better, the way Hitman suggests approaches in the challenge-slash-opportunity system is so great, from explicit prompts through to the vague. This kind of sandbox rewards players for paying attention to systems and improvising, approaches that go hand-in-hand. If Assassin's Creed chooses to follow that path, I think it'll be great, but it should learn from Hitman and understand that less area and greater player agency through systems is better. I don't remember you guys talking too much about Hitman, but you should revisit it now that season one is over. Thanks, and thanks for the show. Uh, Christian, you played a little Hitman, didn't you? Yeah, it's a fantastic game. Uh, I played the, just the, what is it, prologue starter pack, but uh, I almost, I, that, that too might get purchased before Cyber Monday is over because the first season is on sale for pretty cheap. And I've heard that some of the other levels are like Paris are pretty incredible. All right, let's move on now to a little bit of VR talk. Mike, my brother in VR. Yes! Let's talk about some stuff. What have you been playing? I have been playing Hollow Ball, which is a very dumb PSVR game that was on sale for $10. (laughs) 
it was originally like $13, so I didn't save that much. But um, what VR Ball is, is it's clearly an 80s throwback game. I know we're tired of 80s throwback games, but it looks it looks and plays the way that you imagine VR would look and play when you were like seven. Lawnmower so, Man? It's, it's very it's very Lawnmower Man. It's like you're in this digital landscape, and it's basically Pong. You're just playing Pong or tennis against like this computer opponent. And it's not that good. But what I like about it, it's not it's not that deep. It's not that good. I finished the game in maybe an hour. Um, but what I like about it is it's a great VR demo game. It's a great game to say, okay, I'm going to put this headset on you, like somebody who's not a gamer or like a family member. You put the headset on them. You give them uh, the 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 motion controller, and and it's and it's so intuitive because you're like oh i get it okay i'm going to hit this ball back and people really get into it it's a really good party game and it's a really interesting vr demo game that's not just like hey stand still while fish swim around you right right yeah my when my nephews were over uh i put them in uh, a game called cyberpong on the vive yeah and it was the same type of thing as like you know these they're young kids first thing i want you to do is something that's very obvious there's a right. ball coming at you smack it away from you and they loved it it's 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 so much fun and it's 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 one of the things that I think that that VR will do more and more is sort of be like cuz cuz right now we're I don't know it's like I've been playing some games like Eagle Flight which are good but don't feel like full games to me mm-hmm. and other games like you know um a lot of games that don't feel like full games to me you know let's or, can we talk a little bit about Eagle Flight because I haven't pulled the trigger on that one yet is it is it worth getting it is if it was a little cheaper, yes. It's really fun. It's a really interesting concept. Because if you don't, for those of you that don't know, you play an eagle that's flying around like a post-apocalyptic Paris. And you're just like, you're fu- you are You can do a free mode where you're just sort of roaming. Uh, or you can follow missions that are basically like, it's, it's, the best way to describe it is pilot wings, but you're an eagle. <laughs> right. Like there's a lot of like, you're going through obstacles, you're going up and down. There's like sort of combat, but you like you shout at vultures to get them away from you. Um, it's a very weird game and it's very immersive, but at the same time, it's very surface level. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's yeah. no like once you've played it, you sort of played it. Um, and it's that thing that like I, you know, I, I want a deeper experience in VR. I want like a role playing game that's not just a VR mode, but improved by it. Yeah. No, I I agree. I and I think those are coming. Those are coming. Um, right. Christian, you you played a little uh, Call of Duty in VR, and I oh. feel like that's the opposite of what Mike is talking about. Well, it's I mean, it's, so I have Eagle Flight coming, so hopefully next week I'll I'll be able to talk about Eagle Flight as well. But you mean I played the VR experience game with the longest title ever, Call of Duty Infinite <laughs> Jackal Assault VR Experience? Is right. that the one you're talking about? Based it's, on the board game, based on the movie. <laughs> By the novel by Sapphire. Um, <laughs> it is free on the PlayStation Network. So if you have a PS uh, VR, definitely download it. And it's it's actually really, really, really well done. But it's a lot like the E-Valkyrie demo where it is exceedingly, exceedingly, incredibly short. Um and it's just you're flying the jackal, which is the plane, uh, the spaceship that they do very well in Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Have you played that yet, Jeff? No, okay. I haven't. Okay. And, you know what? I got. I was going to bring this up in the playlist. Um, so, The Last Guardian and Final Fantasy 15 mm-hmm. are coming out next week. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't have time in my life for both of those. Well, I'm playing Last Guardian, and I'm not going to touch Final Fantasy, so I decided for you. Thanks, bye. Are you, I guess I'm playing Final Fantasy. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can't Final Fantasy, but I will Last Guardian. All right, fair enough. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, the Jackal in, in Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Oh, that'll be on next week's too. The That's tomorrow I'm recording with uh, Fine Folk at Infinity Ward, so there'll be bonus content on next week's episode about infinite warfare they handle the jackal really well where it feels well, maybe. like maybe we might we might want to be holding on to some bonus content for an episode uh where we you know for like christmas when we're not here maybe maybe we'll do that nah it's gonna come out next week because i don't <laughs> want to sit on this thing for four weeks uh <laughs> i'll line up some more though um they handle the jackal really well where it feels familiar uh for a call of duty player but it also isn't just you know Call of Duty. <laughs> now it looks. Right. Now your HUD looks like a plane, and the VR experience is just. It's very short. You're in it. You're in the Jackal. It's first person. You're in the cockpit. They launch you out, and you're just doing a simple patrol. And it's like, hey, let's check on this relay satellite. Let's make sure it's okay. And then you're like, it's okay. Oh, we got some debris. Clear some debris. I.e., tutorial to make sure you know how your weapons work. And then who jumps in? Bad guys. And you have to dogfight a whole bunch of little uh, little ships. I forget what they're called. And then there's one big ship that you get to take down. And that's it. It's super short. But these types of experiences, this in the cockpit dog pot, dog fighting VR experience is really, really cool. I don't know how, like, I haven't pulled the trigger on Eve Valkyrie on Oculus or on PlayStation VR because I'm just not sure how long I want to do it for or if it's worth 60 of my dollars. But I'm excited for when Star Wars does this 20 minute version of me being in the cockpit, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, this is great. And then I'm like, $60. I don't know if it's that great, but it's I, free. I, I got Eve Valkyrie for free with the Rift, and um, which I ordered before it was political. <laughs> I, was, I was an early Kickstarter of the Rift. Whenever I bring up having a Rift, people are always like, "Oh, really?" And I'm like, "I don't know. No, it's a it's a headset. It's a it's a VR headset." Um, but uh, yes, it's the same thing. It's short. It's really cool. It's really detailed. It's really beautiful. You know, it's really it's good to look at. But at the same time, again, like it's it's kind of short. Yeah. Um. Um, and I get it too. These companies are figuring this out, you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I think this is this. Uh, if anyone could do it, you know, the the team that put together this Jackal Assault VR experience, it's really well done. And I think you could see a VR game. You know, I don't. I don't know if I could handle it with my motion sickness, like a true first person shooter where I'm running and gunning. But I think you could see like a, we're going to get you in a whole bunch of different cockpits. Um, kind of what, like what Star Fox Wii U tried to do, where like. Now you're in a rig, right, running around. Now you're in a tank running around. Now you're in a starship running around. And they make those all feel a little different, but they're able to build that bombastic six-hour campaign around it. I think that right. could be a really, really cool game. I think you might just call it Titanfall. But, yeah, uh, you would. <laughs> Titanfall is, VR. Is, is Titanfall 2 worth getting? Cause, so yes. good. Okay, because it's been on sale, and I keep thinking of pulling the trigger, but I was burned by Titanfall 1. No, you have to get it. It's, okay. it's one of the best games of the year, in my opinion. It's, the single player, it's short, but fantastic. So good. Um, so last week I talked a lot about Robinson, the journey. Uh, I finished that this week. I evidently was right at the end and didn't realize I was right at the end. So it is a little shorter than I thought it was. But, um, the biggest thing is I, I told everybody that I paid $60 for it. And then I got this like mountain of emails and tweets saying, uh, Jeff, you, you paid $40 for it. Hello. The game's $40. And I was like, oh, I guess I misremembered that. And then I did a little, uh, the old, uh, Google email search for my receipt. I did pay $60 for it. Uh, the game is $40, but somehow I paid $60 for it. So I don't know. Like, they really? must have had a. It's $60 price drop. on PlayStation Network. 
That's what it, I where I bought it's it. Sixty dollars now. It's it's sixty dollars. But no, do do a, do a search by uh, Robinson the Journey, and it's forty dollars everywhere. Oh oh crap! It's like on Amazon, it's forty dollars. Everybody says it's forty dollars. I I spend an extra twenty dollars for it for some reason. Yeah, you pay more for the digital download. Welcome to the digital future. Yeah. Well, you know, when they all the money that they save on not printing up uh, packaging, <laughs> I think GameStop had it for like twenty nine. I almost, I almost pulled the trigger, but I, I didn't. It's I, real good. Is it's, it worth? Is it worth forty dollars? I think it's. I th- I think it was worth sixty, but it, it's definitely worth forty. I I mean, it's short, but it's such a joy to play. I, I mean, there there are some quibbles that I had with it, and I mentioned a lot of those last week, but. Uh, I mean, it's dinosaur. You have a pet dinosaur. You're living in a massive dinosaur world. It's beautiful. Uh, it's it's. I really liked it. But uh, the game that I've been playing more of this week on my Vive also has to do with dinosaurs in a completely different way. So Robinson was have a pet dinosaur, scan dinosaurs, completely nonviolent. We're just in this world. We're going to live in harmony. We got to figure out where to go. We climb stuff. We explore things. We power up our battle stations. We not battle stations. Our uh, living stations because there's no battle it's just all joy uh the island 359 is a, a vr game that's been on vive for a while now is the opposite of that you're in a jungle you got some guns you mow down some dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> go to the do- go to the dinosaurs murder as many as you can survive as long as possible and then get back to the choppa and get back on the choppa with all your dinosaur loot and score points uh, so this is an interesting take on the the wave based shooter, which has become very much very popular in VR and the early you know the early releases of VR. It's easy to make a wave based shooter. It makes a lot of sense because you got these hand track motion controllers that can be your guns. Uh, very a lot of very fun games like that. This one switches up a little bit in the sense that you have to move around. You're teleporting around uh, a jungle, but the farther you teleport, the more tired you get. So you can't just teleport, teleport, teleport. You'll like run out of uh, stamina and you'll have to pause. It won't let you teleport for a while and you can hear yourself heavy breathing. Uh, so that's interesting. And it, it really adds kind of a survival aspect. And there's two modes. There's like a mercenary mode where you're you're trying to kill as much as you can. And then there's another one where it's a survival mode where you have to use stealth and try to not be, not be uh, spotted by the dinosaurs. And obviously the bigger the dinosaur, the more points you get. And there's like, you know, you kill enough dinosaurs and... They, they'll like airdrop more supplies to you and then you got to get to the supplies and unlock the box and pull out, you know, new guns and new ammo and health packs and stuff. Pretty cool. Uh, and if you, you know, slide the, sh- the shaders up high enough, the game actually looks pretty cool, pretty good. Uh, when I first booted it up, I was like, ooh, this is kind of ugly, but there's enough um, shaders, enough, uh, not shaders, uh, sliders in the um, in the menu that you can actually make the game look look really nice. How much did you pay for this one? A hundred? Uh, no. No, I, I don't. I try not to pay more than the game actually is available for. Um, but I think we're going to actually have the designer of that on as some bonus content as well. Uh, oh, maybe uh, around Christmas. That's more, what my plan was, but evidently I don't call the shots. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, lots of cool VR stuff happening. Um, yeah. Also, the touch controllers are coming out, and I'm going to be getting those. Well, I have them already. I'm going to be getting the, a bunch of the software for that um, and talking about that in the next coming weeks too. So exciting times for VR. Um, let me ask you this question, Mike, as a now revealed owner of all three. Yeah. Do you have a clear favorite? Do you have a clear, like if somebody said they wanted to buy just one headset, one that you would recommend? I would say it depends on how serious you are about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it, this is weird because I did not expect this. I kind of like the PlayStation VR. Yeah, it's pretty it, impressive. It's yeah. Go it's, ahead. Sorry. Oh, it's not as like you obviously the visuals are n- nowhere near as good as the Vive, and the you know the motion controls are a mess. You know, my hope is that Sony releases a new camera that is much better at detecting. Yeah, that is the real downside of PSVR. Is I don't even think the visuals are that much of a down, you know, a step down. It's really the tracking that is a step down. It's a step down, but it's the most comfortable to wear. It's the easiest to put on other people. It's the easiest to adjust. It's the smoothest experience. You know, I don't have to jump through hoops or load a bunch of different programs and then like wait for it. Like it's it's amazing how how much a smooth experience does for you. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's easy to recommend. I, I really wish the tracking was better. I get yeah. so frustrated. In fact, playing through Robinson, I was, you know, playing hours on end, which I think is an endorsement of how well that all works. But, you know, they have the, you you hold in the option button. Um, it's kind of a universal thing for all PSVR games. If you hold the option button in for a long time, it recenters your view. And I'm like spamming that. I'm doing yeah. that so often. It's ridiculous. And I don't have that issue at all with Oculus or Vive. It's it it's just with PSVR where I tend to you know it'll get all wonky or something, or I'll turn my head too far and it'll go oh, nope, yep, lost you. Yeah, it's very frustrating. And that stuttering, like like th- the annoying thing about the tracking isn't even that it goes so way off; it's that it drifts a little bit or it does that little like wiggle. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's it's just reality breaking enough to be disappointing. But outside of that. It's such a great experience. I agree, 100%. Anything to add, Christian? Uh, nope, nope, nope. I mean, I, I would, I, if you have the money in the space, I think Vive is the best yeah. um, around right now, but PlayStation is is a great, um, it, it works really, really well for this early adopter BS, where you're wasting your money, right? Like, come on, you're, you're wasting your money. But it's if you really need to get in and you want to be on this bleeding edge of the tech, and it's fun to be on the bleeding edge of the tech, don't get me wrong. I'm going to one of the first possible Rogue, Rogue Star Wars Rogue One screenings just because I want to be part of that zeitgeist, right? The Same. movie's not going anywhere. but So I get it. I get it. Um, in the PlayStation VR, it's you know, it's a it's very well done. It's surprising how well done it is for how duct taped it seems to be. Right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you guys hear that the the Dark Souls guy wants to make Dark Souls in, in VR too? Yes. I've seen that. Um, yes. and Dan did a great job directing it, and I do not want to play it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Uh, as promised, because it is not dead, let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Mike, you're yes. a fan of tabletop games. I am. Uh, what have you been playing lately? I have been playing a game called Mysterium. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you have you guys played that? Yes, indeed. It's so much fun. It's such a fun, creative game. Um. I like it. I like the mood of it. I, I'm a very atmosphere-heavy person. I'm not a mechanics person. Like, obviously, I like mechanics that work and go towards the atmosphere. But for me, what's fun about Mansions of Madness or games like that is that, like, you're in the story and it's well-built and it convinces you that you're part of it. Not like, oh, strategically, if I'm two spaces out. Like, that to me is the story. And so the idea of, like, playing as a ghost while people try to guess why you died or how you died or who killed you, 
it's so much fun. It's fun. It's like a little role playing game. Yeah, we we've talked about this this game uh, as a combination of Clue and Dixit. If people are familiar yeah. with Dixit, yeah. Um, and it it really is. I mean, you're you're trying to figure out who done it and how done it and with what they done it. Uh, and you're you're only able to communicate if you are the the dead. It's a ghost who was murdered trying to communicate who killed them and how they were, were killed um, from beyond the grave. And the only way you're able to communicate as that player to the rest of the players is through a series of very uh, enigmatic imagery that are on these cards. And you're trying to uh, give them clues. And it's it's really fun. You're not able to actually talk out loud to the other right. players. <laughs> and hearing – and Christian had this experience as well – hearing people – and misinterpret the clue that you're trying yeah. to communicate is half the fun. Yeah. Cause you, you can't do anything. You're just like, ah, yeah. Would you label this Mike uh, a friendship ruiner? I think it's a friendly friendship ruiner, but it's on that, on that scale for me. <laughs> it's a friendly friendship ruiner because you're supposed to be working together and you see everybody making terrible mistakes <laughs> that you can't correct. So it's not like a normal friendship ruiner where you like screw over your friend and then they're like, I can't believe you did that. It's like, it's like, at the end of games, people are like, why didn't you do this? And you're like, I tried to tell you, but I was dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah it's I just so look obvious. At... Come on. Yeah. You the look at people. The car was made out of bread. He's a baker. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you need, you, you're like, we have so many shared experiences. I'm playing this with my wife or whatever. And you're just like, really? When you see that, that makes you think of that? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Uh, we got an email that kind of leads right into the game that I've been playing this week. Uh, and this was sent in by Baron Jan. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, he says, uh, hello guys, let me tell you a story. I'm a backer of the HeroQuest 25th year anniversary crowdfunding debacle. Long story short, they aimed for a release of December 2014 and still nothing's come out. I backed it as a group with my friends that still play HeroQuest and sometimes, uh, uh, some, uh, sometimes a year. Classic low-profile nerds. Because we need something to play, I tried to look at some print-and-play HeroQuest light RPGs that are figure-heavy. But I can't find a nice one. Do you have some experience in the download and print-yourself games? I can only find very hardcore D&D-like games. For some context, we play HeroQuest as a Diablo-like game, and one player is the simple dungeon master and four players raid as a group. So my question is, do you have some download and print board games that fit that formula, or do you have some experiences using the print-and-play RPG formula? Sorry for my bad English. I hope the message comes across. Uh, Thanks in advance. Okay. I love... First, really quick, I love people from other countries who apologize for their English when it's always better than Americans' English. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah, (laughs) always. And we're like, I don't don't even know what language you speak. I can't even pronounce your name. (laughs) Um, So, yes. I just want to say I accept your apology. Do better next time. <laughs> um, so interesting that, that he's kind of focused on print and play. Print and play is uh, a, a really cool way to try out games that haven't been published. A lot of uh, there's a lot of games on BoardGameGeek.com that are from amateur developers or even from professional developers that want to get feedback as they're developing a game, and that allow you to print stuff out at home and uh, you know make com- compile the components they'll give you pdfs of all the art or all of the you know layout of the board and everything and you print it yourself and compile it and and you know cobble it together and and play the game 
It's a lot of work. Uh, I've done it a couple of times, and uh, I've only done it for games that seemed relatively simple uh, component-wise. It's a lot of work, and you have to, you know, you want to go get, like, foam core and boards and stuff so that it doesn't just all fall apart as paper. And you're, you know, exacto knifing and gluing, and it's all, it's an arts and crafts level of, of, of commitment that I'm not entirely comfortable with all the time. Did you ever get into figure painting? Because I feel no. like for some people that might be an appeal of this type of game, right? Like you get yeah. to make it how you want to make it. Right. Yeah. No, uh, miniatures painting is very daunting to me. It's very off-putting. I, I feel like I would be very bad at that. I think because I'm left-handed, when I was a kid, arts and crafts time at school was basically like a, a, a level of torment. <laughs> the scissors didn't work for me and everything was built right. backwards and wrong. So I just – I've never been an arts and crafts fella. But, um, yeah, I imagine, as you said, some people might think it's even cooler to do that. So I haven't had a ton of experience with, with print and play, but there are a lot of games out there. If you want to get into that world, there's all kinds of even just print and play devoted websites that let you, you know, download and print and play stuff out. I, I talked about a time stories, uh, print and play amateur uh, scenario that I did recently that was really, really high quality, but if you're looking for a hero quest type experience where one player plays as a DM and the other players uh, play the scenario, there are a lot of options that you can just go to the store and buy. You don't have to do print and play. I mean, there's tons. There's a whole genre of that. Uh, Descent is a great one. Uh, the new Star Wars game, I think, it, what is it? Um, Imperial Assault that works like that. That's a big game. Huge. These are. I mean, these. That's what these experiences are, right? They're huge yeah. experiences. Um, that give you that. And the game that I got to play this week uh, on Black Friday that I've been very excited to play uh, kind of works like that. It's a little bit of a twist on that formula, but it's definitely uh, a big, big release for 2016. It's called The Others, and it's a new game from Eric Lang, uh, who is a rock star designer. You may have heard his name before because he designed uh, Dice Masters, the Marvel Dice Masters, mm -hmm. DC Dice Masters, um, Arcadia Quest, um, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Chaos in the Old World, uh, the Game of Thrones card game, uh, Blood Rage, which is a massive game right now, the Bloodborne card game that just came out. Anyway, very, very prolific guy, master designer. This was a massive uh, Kickstarter success that turned into a game from Cool Minis or Not. And Cool Minis or Not is a company that, as you can probably tell from the name of them, does really intricate, really cool minis. I mean, these are just staggering in the amount of detail that they have in them. And the others is just jam-packed with these miniatures. The The game is about the sort of, he calls it a, uh, like, not post-apocalyptic, but like current apocalypse. You're, you're It's taking place during the apocalypse, where uh, one of the seven deadly sins has anthropomorphized and is taking out its its rage on on the world and a group of players has to try to stop it and the players are all uh, these heroes that can be werewolves and vampires and all kinds of crazy mythological stuff uh, but they're you know your your monster hunters and so one player plays as one of the seven deadly sins and you can select that the game is really has tons of options. There's all these different scenarios you play. You can play as the different deadly sins. Each scenario has different team members that the heroes play or the hero players play as. So that it, like every, there's so much in the box. There's so many different 
ways to play the game. It has a, a lot of replayability in the box. Um, we played one scenario. Uh, it plays actually quicker than you might think for as complex as it looks as the outside. It's really not as complex a game as it appears. It's very daunting because it's, it's got tons of components and all these crazy miniatures and you just got bags and bags and bags of stuff in the box. But you're only playing a small portion of that in any given time, and the actual rule set is is pretty um, pretty small. So anyway, one player is playing as all of the bad guys. So, you know, the DM role. But in this game, you're not really the DM role. You know, in Descent, in Hero Quest, in a lot of those games, even Dungeons & Dragons itself or any, you know, typical role-playing game, the DM's job is to create a fun time for everybody. Yes, they want to create a challenge, and yes, they want to have the players in peril and potentially could die or whatever, but you're not actively trying to destroy them, right? You're trying to facilitate good times. Not so here. This is a competitive game where one player is playing all the bad guys and trying to win, and everybody else is trying to solve whatever the scenario... Um, uh, points are whatever they have to do for the for the scenario to defeat that other one player. So it's a one against many game, and in so far as it's doing that, it's doing it in a really really fascinating way. Most of the time, when you're playing a game that's one against many, uh, the players all take their turns, and then the one player that's playing all the bad guys takes his turn. Or it'll be like one player moves, and then the 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 bad guy player moves. Another player moves, bad guy moves again. Third player moves, bad guy moves again. So there's always a response. This game eschews that and does something really interesting. The bad guy player can only move, can only do an action in the game as a response to one of the other player's turns. But he doesn't have to. He has a certain amount of responses that he has in the bank. And he can spend one of those or not. So you're never quite sure if the bad guy player is going to do something at any given time. And it's sort of a surprise anytime he does. You do a, a turn and, he, and the, the player goes, oh, I'm doing a response. Now I'm attacking you. And it's like, oh, crap, I didn't, I didn't plan for that. So it's really kind of interesting and a, a very fascinating twist on that formula. The combat is all dice versus dice. It's very risk-like. You're rolling your defense dice. The bad guy's rolling his attack dice or vice versa. And it all happens at the same time. Uh, you know, you're, you're attacking, you're defending, and he's corrupting you with his evil at the same time. And you can actually use that corruption to your advantage because the more corrupted you get, the more powerful you get. You, you gain certain powers when you get corrupted. And you can actually choose to accept corruption voluntarily in order to get more powers, but the more corrupt you get, the closer to, you know, insanity and therefore death you get. Really interesting systems. It actually plays much faster than I would I would think for a game like this. It certainly plays faster than Descent or Imperial Assault. I ultimately don't go to board games for this kind of experience very much. I don't really enjoy the dungeon crawl, which I think is kind of ironic because that's how I like my video games. You know, I love the Diablos and, and uh, uh, you know, the role-playing games of the world. And board games, I'm much more interested in, in fun, you know, economic systems and weird stuff like that. But as a game like this, and it certainly uh, feeds right into the email that we got um, from uh, Berend, 
This is, a, I think, a worthwhile pickup. It's not a cheap game. It's it's a pretty intense game, but you get these incredible monster minis, uh, and there's a lot of stuff in that box that's going to keep you playing for a long time. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it's called The Others. Again, it's called The Others, and it's from Cool Mini or Not. Uh, really crazy game. Huh. All right, guys, that's going to do it for Tabletop Time. I really appreciate everybody uh, sending their their emails of support, saying that they loved it, that it exposed them to board games, uh, and they had never tried it before. Um, I really, uh, I really appreciate you guys all saying that. So thank you. We will keep keep making it. Um, that's going to end it. End the show. We do have our parting gift coming up, so stay tuned for that. But uh, Mike Drucker, thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you for having me. This was a ton of fun. Awesome. We'll have to have you back. But in the meantime, tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Drucker, M-I-K-E-D-R-U-C-K-E-R. Same thing on Twitch, same name. Um, you can listen to my podcast, How to Be a Person, where two social cripples who live together try to figure out how to be human people. Um, also, uh, look out for Bill Nye Saves the World. Uh, that's coming to Netflix in March and uh, hopefully more stuff soon. Awesome. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Um, apparently, I'm losing my life to Mad Max and The Witcher. Uh, <laughs> I hope you love both those games. I love both those games. Mad Max, I, like I said, I played a little bit of it and then kind of just got uh, tired. Um, but for five bucks or whatever it cost me, I'm willing to go back. Witcher, I liked, but I got overwhelmed. So it'll probably happen again. But again, for the price, it's easy to jump back in. I, I um, evidently have a 60-hour appointment with Final Fantasy that I... Uh... Yep. <laughs> you don't have Final to. Final Fantasy. I mean, it's getting great reviews. I just know that I can't. I I am really enjoying Pokemon. I cannot. I know I need to play Last Guardian, seeing as how those are some of my favorite games ever. Um, and Final Fantasy doesn't hold that special place in my heart, so I can't. I just can't. You know, be the one to dive in on that and talk about it intelligently at all. Um, <laughs> uh, the the show I want to mention that I'm doing, I love it. It's one of my favorite shows um, in LA going on right now. It's at UCB Sunset. It's not until December 16th, but it's Tell All Your Friends, and it's like um, a throwback, an emo night, a night of emo pop punk comedy. There's sketches, there's stand up. Um, I think you this guys is are the digging third... a hole. <laughs> We're digging a hole. This is the third or fourth one they've done. Uh, I think I've been part of all of them, and they are awesome it's at 10 30 at ucb sunset if you're in los angeles the show is called tell of your friends it's uh five bucks and otherwise you can usually see me at the comedy store you know around town uh twitter at spicer is the easiest way to get in touch with me i do a parenting podcast called department of parenting and i have my little extended uh carved out niche in the geek world uh my podcast at least 20 more minutes so you can get over at patreon.com slash christian spicer this week's episode is going to be about my love-hate relationship with open world games so uh, <laughs> there you have it uh jeff what about you i got a couple other shows for you to check out you can listen to me talking about movies over at the slash Filmcast. you can find that at slash filmcast.com this week we're talking about moana which I mentioned last week on this show as something everyone should see. It's so good. Uh, and uh, the other show I do is called We Have Concerns. It's a comedy science show. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. You can always tweet me at Jeff Kanata with two N's and one T. And uh, you can always email us by emailing dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion.
Mike, you got something to uh, recommend the people to get them yes. through their week? Uh, I know it's been out for a little while, but if you have not read the new comic book of The Vision, uh, check it out. It's by a guy named Tom King, who has this like crazy past career. I think he was like a government agent or something. Um, even if you don't like superhero comics, this is very loosely a superhero comic. It's basically The Vision from the... Mar- and you don't need to know who The Vision is. It's basically a comic book about this guy, The Vision, who's a superhero... Um, who was created from memories of another superhero who died. He's like a living robot. He decides he wants a suburban life and he creates a family. And it goes very bad. And it's very interesting. It's nothing like I've read before as far as a superhero comic goes. It's not like your usual postmodern superhero comic. It's not like it's not about a guy being too dark for reality. It's about a family falling apart. Yeah. And it's really touching. It's really powerful. And it will make you feel bad. Yeah, it's extraordinary. It's an it's an amazing piece of art. It's uh, the 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 idea that you would take a character that has the history of the vision and do this with it. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. It's great. Highly recommended as well. Uh, Christian, how about you? What's your parting gift? Well, if you need to be cheered up after the depression that is the vision, which is good, but man, it will it punches you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it punches you. Um. Gilmore Girls, A Year in the Life, four episodes are out now on Netflix, and that actually punches you, too. It's um, If you're not familiar with Gilmore Girls, it's a wonderful show, and you should watch all of the seasons. But the seventh season, the original creator uh, left the show, and it wasn't wrapped up the way she wanted it to be or kind of left fans wanting. And these these four episodes, um, they, they pay it off really, really well. I think it's hard to do sometimes, and I was very impressed with how they were able to pull this together and um, reward longtime fans in a way that felt good, but also really kind of still punches you in the feels. And also, I say this totally unironically, watch the Gilmore Girls. It's really good, and maybe if you are a guy and you want to watch something with your uh, girlfriend or something like that, or if you are a girl and you want to watch something with your boyfriend or husband, like, it's, just, it's good. It's good. I don't want to hear any backlash about the Gilmore Girls. Watch it. It's so good. So good. Um, I'm going to. Well, we got a we got a listener suggestion for a parting gift. Uh, this comes from Caleb Hatcher. He said, uh, "My parting gift would have to be the Stormlight Archive series by Brandon Sanderson. The first book being The Way of Kings. It is a fantastic high fantasy series." that any fantasy fan could appreciate, but I believe it is much more accessible than, say, Wheel of Time. Uh, I'm a massive fan of the Stormlight Archive. There's only two books out yet, but each one is like 800 pages, but they read really fast, very accessible, um, really, really interesting fantasy world. I love these books. I think I was raving about these back in the uh, weekend confirmed days. Um, but the, uh, the the coolest thing about them is that you know, fantasy as a genre has been a little mired in the Tolkien legacy, right? It's it's all dwarves and elves and orcs and stuff like that. And that's all great and well, but fantasy can mean so much more. And I think Brandon Sanderson proves that in a lot of his work, including the Stormlight Archive. The world he creates is completely original. It's really awesome. The fight scenes are like Jedis fighting each other. It's so rad. Uh, I highly, highly recommend it. I think the third book is coming out relatively soon. So I'm very excited. So that I second Caleb's uh, recommendation for the Stormlight Archive. Um, 
So you should check that out. But I also wanted to uh, mention another person that emailed us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Maz. He says, I just wanted to bring to your attention uh, the uh, Good Bundle. The Good Bundle is a bundle of video games uh, that includes 151 games, which you can get for as little as 20 bucks, which is a savings of $451. And all the proceeds go to the ACLU and Planned Parenthood. Check that out, guys. The list of games in this bundle is staggering. Talk about uh, having stuff to do forever. So check out the good bundle. I think you should... um, It's very worthy causes, a very low point of entry, and you get so much great stuff. Uh, Do a Google search for the good bundle. I could give you the URL, but it's a little tricky. So uh, the good bundle is a good parting gift. All right, gang. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Mike Drucker and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room for hanging out as well and making the show better in real time. We really appreciate it. Thanks to all of you who download and listen to the show. Your kind words on your platform of choices review uh, section would be very much appreciated. Also, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for the cool bumpers. We will be back next week. It'll be a big one. Until then... Think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.